Greetings, listeners, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Helping Hands of Our Community, addressing the Social Determinants of Health podcast, where we highlight the incredible work of individuals, agencies, and organizations who are committed to creating healthy and thriving communities through their work. Thank you for taking time to support us by tuning in, listening, and learning. I am your host, Roger Saclupe, and today we unfortunately do not have my amazing co-host, Dr. Drew Reynolds, who will hopefully join us for the next podcast. But today we have an incredible guest. Today we have an individual who is committed to the health of not only our community, but also to make sure that research is out there in order to inform the community about healthy living. Today it is my privilege to welcome my boss, Dean Katrine Tudorlock. She is the Dean of the College of Health and Human Services here at UNC Charlotte. Dean Katrine has established an internationally recognized research program on the promotion of walking throughout the lifespan and the development of objective measures of physical activity using wearable technology. We definitely want to hear about that. She has more than 280 articles published or in press in leading physical activity journals and has presented at many national and international conferences, resulting in more than 150 abstracts or conference presentations. She has also delivered more than 85 invited academic presentations in the U.S. and internationally. She is a trained program evaluator and adult educator focused on practical applications in objective monitoring measurement and intervention. Dean Katrine has received numerous awards and recognition for her work and dedication to promoting healthy and thriving communities. And of course, listeners, that is exactly what our podcast is about. Our podcast is about highlighting the work that individuals are doing to promote healthy and thriving communities. Once again, Dean Katrine, thank you so much for joining us. So, Dean Katrine, if you can tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, perhaps um, your journey into public health, your journey into kinesiology, your journey into physical education, your research, um, what led you to do what you do today? Hmm. Um, Well, I'll start at the beginning. I'm originally Canadian, and um, I'm now a naturalized U.S. citizen as of 2012, but I started in Canada, Alberta, just above Montana. I was a a farm girl and the youngest of six children, five older brothers, and uh, I am a first-gen low-income student, and uh, I stumbled into university because my friends were going there, so I just kind of followed them. I didn't Hmm. know what I was doing, and I found that I had capacity there. I remember somebody coming up to me in my undergrad and saying, wow, you're doing well, do you think you'll do a master's? And I remember leaving the room very quickly and then afterwards going, what is a master's? You know, because I had no idea. I didn't have the framework for that sort of thing. Anyways, I had some early losses. I lost my father when I was 16 and my mother when I was 23 and I had to make my way forward in life. So I took my $1,400 inheritance, drove five days across the country, Canada, and took up a scholarship in at Dalhousie University in Nova Scotia, Halifax, Nova Scotia. In retrospect, I probably spent too much time partying and having fun. And in the end, I I came away with my husband, who I've dragged over two countries now with me. We ended up moving to Ontario, where I did my PhD in health studies and gerontology. So I went from kinesiology to public health. Then I entered the States with my husband in 2000. We started at the University of South Carolina, where I did my postdoc. Then I was an assistant professor for seven years at Arizona State University. I got tenure, and then I just didn't think that was my path. I didn't want to keep doing it. So I walked away from tenure and became an entrepreneurial scientist in Louisiana at the Pennington Biomedical Research Center in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We lived there for about seven, eight years. Living in Baton Rouge is quite a trip. And after I'd had a great deal of success as a researcher and and building out my portfolio and interacting with a lot of great young people there, I decided to put my toe into um, administration. So I became chair of kinesiology at uh, UMass Amherst. And then I ascended to associate dean for research and administration. And then I had an opportunity 
opportunity to come here. And I know this is a great fit. I've lived across two countries. I've lived in many places in the States. And I call North Carolina the Goldilocks state. Just right. Not too far north, <laughs> not too far south, not too hot, not too cold. And University of North Carolina, Charlotte, particularly appealed to me because it was the right fit. This is an access university, not a privileged university. I'm a first-gen student. It spoke to me. I'm interested in access. I'm interested in helping those who have the potential to have a leg up and step forward and ascend. I'm interested in having young people who are or have dreams and not know the path, you know, be exposed to people who have succeeded, like myself and, and the faculty that we have, so that they can get inspired and get excited and imagine themselves in these sorts of positions in, in future years. So that's part of my path here. I got into just answering your question. I got into physical activity. I was always interested in physical activity. Everybody says, oh, you must have been a jock. And I was never a jock, ever a jock. And in fact, my husband laughs when people think that because I'm such a klutz. But I like being physically active. I like hiking. I like walking around. And I was the fat kid back before fat kids were common and I couldn't hold my body weight up or anything. But I, I just loved movement. And I remember when track and field would come around in school and uh, they'd all, I don't want to do the high jump in, you know, high jump for me is pretty low, but, you know, I wanted to do the high jump because it was fun falling in the big fluffy pit. <laughs> but they kept pushing me towards shot put because that's where big girls, right, go. And it was, ugh. but I enjoyed it and I hung out at the Y and I took swimming lessons and, and uh, you know, I ended up working with the, in the YMCA. And so I found that path, but I didn't want to become a teacher at that point in my life. And so I fell in love with the science of physical activity. And that's where I ended up in kinesiology. And then when I had explored kinesiology and science and it had fit that need for me, I was interested in public health because when I thought about all that kinesiology represented to me, I was on the physical activity and health side of it. So public health was the great one for me. And then when I was working with people who struggled with physical activity, particularly people with type 2 diabetes who just have so much coming at them and they have to deal with diet and regimen and medicine and physical activity, and there's so many chances to fail. And uh, I was very interested in trying to come up with something where they could succeed. And I got into pedometry and step counting, and that was where I launched it. And I was into it long before any of the activity trackers that are commonplace like the now. Fitbit, the Fitbit, the... Apple Watch, Tracker, everything. Yeah. You were at the beginning. You were in the beginning phases. I was shaking the devices back before the technology took it to another level. Wow. And so I like to think that my research was foundational to that movement. So if you've ever been told how many steps per day are enough, that's my research. Wow. Well, thank you so much for taking us back a little bit in your career and talking about the experiences that led you to where you are today. We really appreciate you sharing that with us. You mentioned the science of physical activity. I'm interested in finding out a little bit more about what that means, the science of physical activity. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Well, I think perhaps people uh, take physical activity uh, for granted sometimes. I'm interested in the science of it from a, how it promotes health. I mean, we know uh, that we should be physically active because it's going to help us maintain our body weight. It's going to help us regulate our blood glucose. It's going to help us uh, actually cognitively as well. There's a number of... Well, a whole list of benefits of physical activity. So I'm interested in, I'll call it dose response in the sense that how much is enough? Mm -hmm. How much physical activity do we need to do to get the cognitive benefits? How much mm. physical activity do we need to do to maintain our body weight? How much do we need to do to reduce our blood pressure? So I'm very interested in the relationship between physical activity and desired health comes so that I could inform those dose response relationships. 
thanks again for sharing that. I made myself a note here because, as you know, our podcast is is focusing on the social determinants of health. And so what you're touching on is is incredibly important. Physical activity from a public health perspective. You're talking about diabetes and how much is enough and when to do what. Mm -hmm. So I know that physical activity, it's something you had mentioned folks may take for granted, but the access to physical activity is not available to some communities. Um, and, And this is where I'm going with this is you might take maybe a rural community or urban community that they might not have the green space or they might not have the sidewalks or they might not have a park close by where they can actually be physically active. If we take a a deeper dive, some communities might not be safe Mm -hmm. for children or families to go out and play Mm -hmm. and hence reduces the level of physical activity, not because they don't want to, it's just because sometimes it just might be really scary to go outside and play for some folks. So can you talk a little bit about how how you see research and then also community engaged individuals, what their role is in helping communities have access to physical activity? Absolutely. So one thing I want to point out is I use the word physical activity as an umbrella term. And if you think of physical activity as all movement, so even if I got up and walked to the two feet to the door right now, that's physical activity. But on the, the whole spectrum of physical activity, exercise is perhaps more the purposeful, the sweaty, the, the, the stuff that, uh, you know, uh, that we think of when we think about lifting weights and going for a run and, and that need more equipment and more dedicated space and so on. Whereas I'm interested in all physical activity, and I'm particularly interested in um, physical activity as part of everyday movement, transportation, mobility, uh, and play and so on. So I'm, I'm interested in the full spectrum. So from an access point of view, uh, you hit on some uh, a number of things. One is just being able to have green space nearby. So fundamentally, I'm interested, if you want to put a word on it, it's walking. I'm interested in walking behavior. Running is just fast walking and dancing is funny walking. <laughs> but I'm interested in walking, so bipedal locomotion. And I think that's fundamental to just our basic mobility. So trying to incorporate opportunities for mobility. So that includes public transportation. So we have a train and you say, oh, you're sitting on the train. Yes, but you had to walk to the train and you have to walk away from the train. So people who take public transportation are are notoriously going to gain more steps in the metric of my choice versus somebody who is driving door to door and so on. And then access to green spaces just provides an opportunity to be active. But you're absolutely right, Roger. Safety and and feeling safe and being able to go out in your neighborhood. Uh, So being a part of a community where all eyes are on the street and, and you have that sense of safety and that um, you're, you're sufficiently protected from traffic. All of these things play into the ability to actually live the physically active life that, that is natural to all of us. Right. From a public health perspective, I would imagine that being engaged in physical activity, movement, like you had mentioned, would help reduce the rates of fill in the blank. It will help yes. reduce the rates of diabetes, help reduce the rates of uh, heart problems, help reduce the rates of obesity, et cetera. And, 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 you know, my focal point is always looking at communities as who has access to what, Mm -hmm. you know, we have pockets of communities that have access to different things, but but then we have vulnerable communities that don't have access, that have minimal access to things that we take for granted. Right. And so my intention is, or my charge is to folks who are listening is let's be proactive about finding ways that we can provide support for communities so they can be physically active, so they can incorporate play in their life. So when we think of family and family unity, play is an important part of that. And sometimes families don't get an opportunity to play or move Mm -hmm. 
because it's, it's really limited. You're absolutely right. And I've always said the biggest public health bang for our buck is trying to improve opportunities for walking. Again, I'm using that, that word as a short word for saying move about with your legs sort of thing. But investing in safe neighborhoods, investing in public transportation, investing in communities that have places to walk to, coffee shops, libraries, banking institutions, uh, post offices. I know this generation doesn't walk to a post office anymore, but the idea of having destinations in an area and having people out and about so that there is that community. Right. All of that's going to drive up people's steps without having to say, you should get more steps. It's just naturally going to rise up. Uh, farmers markets, festivals, communities, any of that, uh, for anybody that's ever worn a step counting device and have uh, gone on a tour of an area, they look down and they're shocked at how many steps they get. And that's just because they've been out and engaged and about. So you don't even have to think about, you know, um, getting your exercise in. It's providing these opportunities for engagement and being outside and interacting in your community and the digits take care of themselves. Right. Well, that's really important for us to, to really um, not only know about, but again, how intentional are we with not only ourselves moving around and walking and being physical, but encouraging others as well to do the same. So Dean Katrine, some of our listeners might be interested in how you've made health awareness and physical activity a part of your career mission. Why is this work important for our listeners and our communities to know about? Well, most countries around the world and uh, a number of health agencies will provide what they call physical activity guidelines. Just like, you know, there are nutritional guidelines, there are physical activity guidelines. And in the U.S., there's federal physical activity guidelines that say that we should get 150 minutes per week of at least moderate intensity physical activity. And the typical example they'll give is brisk walking. And then more recently, you know, my work is trying to say, well, what is intense walking? What is 150 minutes and so on? And trying to calibrate it according to these very popular devices that are, are pretty much everywhere now, omnipresent devices, and allowing people to use those sorts of things. So I'm passionate about promoting activity and, and making it as useful and understandable and comprehensible as possible to people. So rather than saying, burn this many calories at this heart rate and so on, which sometimes are just alien concepts mm -hmm. and, and terms to somebody other than a, a trained exercise physiologist, but trying to put it in uh, more accessible terms for people. So I have adopted step counting. So step counting, cadence tracking, cadence is just steps per minute. And I use these as fairly simple ways of speaking with people. And my work through the years have shown that people get this. You know, they're very, they understand step counting. I can talk about, oh, well, just increase to this many steps or increase by this many steps or this many steps per minute. And they get it. They they understand it because everybody has seen everybody walk and they can say, well, somebody's walking faster, they're working harder. Right. Uh, so it seems to be uh, simplistic. I'm just trying to provide some benchmarks or indices in there to help people understand that. But my main focus is always trying to come up with things that are useful, understandable, translatable, practical. And I'm trying to make it evidence-based, but help people with those. And it's a great synergy when I work with uh, people in public health who are focused on self-determinants, where I'm trying to say, okay, so how do you manipulate the environment to alter systems, develop programs that uh, produce these digital changes that I can talk about that are very clear and, and show the benefit of these programs? It sounds like it can be really burdensome for somebody to keep track of, oh, I need to keep my heart rate at this level and I have to 
be mindful of how many calories I have in order to burn off instead of just, hey, I'm going to go walk and I'm going to walk for an hour. And it doesn't matter if I walk two miles or four miles in this hour. It's just that I'm out walking. And right. what I'm getting from this is being more encouraging for people to, to be mindful of the fact that they're out moving instead of counting calories or counting or, or keeping their heart rate. or right. That's important too, but you know what I mean, sort of like, well, actually, I agree with you 100%. And in fact, I'm not even wearing a step counter, which some people are always freaked out by. But I don't think we have to digitize every every dimension of our life. Now, there are the people who are enjoy quantified self and, and bully for them. Um, and that's that's absolutely fine. But I think we can think about what our parents used to tell us, walk farther, faster, uh, and more frequently. Mm-hmm. And if we can encourage people to walk farther, faster, more frequently, then the digits take care of themselves. And again, if we design programs or provide spaces or uh, provide services that allow people to walk more frequently, farther and faster, the digits take care of themselves. You know, there wasn't that long ago where we didn't have to look at things uh, so precisely, perhaps, uh, because we just lived our lives and and we farmed and we uh, walked to school and we, uh, you know, walked back and forth from shopping malls and so on. But a lot of the ways that we changed our lifestyles have shifted from mobility as a need for uh, getting things done during the day and going places. Now, mobility is more focused on a smaller percentage of the day, which is leisure time, or or uh, and some people don't have leisure time, mm-hmm. and so uh, it has has shifted. But it's still elemental to our health is is moving. Now I know that you move a lot. You're mm-hmm. con- you told me today you moved everywhere on campus. And um, by the way, by the time this airs, it'll it'll be past the tornado warning that we had earlier today. But there was a lot of movement on campus. People trying to find uh, places uh, to be safe. But in regards to movement, um, you're moving everywhere. You're constantly moving. You're on the move. You even move in your office. <laughs> yes, right? I do. <laughs> So tell us a little bit about how you move in your office. Well, people do like to come by my office because I, I have a treadmill desk. So some people have a standing desk. I actually have a treadmill desk. And my treadmill goes at a maximum of two miles an hour, which is not a fast walk. A moderate walk would be about three miles an hour. So it's it's um, I can walk at that and I type and I talk on the phone and I do data analysis. And uh, so I do that. But I have, you know, different spaces in my office. And when I get tired of walking, I'll go over and, and work on a table with collaboratively with people. Other places I'll sit, I have a little couch where we can sit. We go back and forth, but uh, I, I do enjoy having the treadmill. And I offer um, that people come to my office, they can have a short ride on there. <laughs> I say the first ride is, is free there after they're five bucks to the college. So <laughs> There you go. That's a good fundraising, right? Fundraising yes, it is. <laughs> right there. So what advice do you have for individuals interested in the work that you do in the, in the public health, kinesiology, physical activity field? There's there's a lot to be done in this area, and uh, for, especially from the public health point of view. Again, I'm not the athlete. I'm not the performance person. There that there there is room for science growth in there. I'm not the physiologist. I don't do the basic science or anything like that. But I am very interested in the public health and and uh, and taking it to the people and maximizing opportunities for being physically active, but also sharing how to get that way. So there's endless amount of opportunity for for students to grow in this area and become agents of change and to ensure people are, you know, deriving the optimal benefits that can be obtained from 
being physically active. Uh, so the nice thing is I do have a foot in both our Department of Kinesiology and uh, also our Department of Public Health. I, I mean, I'm, I have, I'm card-carrying in each one. And uh, I, um, I find that the faculty are very excited about it. But also, you know, in social work, I think that a lot of the programs that social work is in trying to do disrupt uh, systems and, and, and work in the community and so on, that will also provide benefits to physical activity. And then physical activity bring about uh, um, quantifiable health changes too. So there's there's a lot of opportunity there to kind of come together collegially and and uh, support and lift each other's um, aims up. There's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity to connect. Yes, not only with the units in CHHS but also with the community. Oh yes, and I, and I feel like it's really important for the community to know that the university is invested in them. And um, and I'm excited that you're here. I'm excited that you are that your vision for the College of Health and Human Services is to go out, be community engaged, and have an impact to create and sustain healthy and thriving lives. Um, so I'm going to shift gears here a little bit, and uh, would like for you to tell us something that you enjoy doing that's not related to your work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I I will, but I have to say. I love my work. So, you know, and and as as we all try to tell young people, find find yourself something you're passionate about and you'll never have to work a day in your life. So I'm very blessed to have found that opportunity to have become an academic, to be able to inspire people, to, a, to be able to help them uh, find their pathways and so on. So that's just a joy every day. But I also... Um, love dogs. And I have three little dogs. They're, they're uh, shelter mutts. We got them while we were living in Louisiana. And uh, Maggie, Elliot, and Sebastian, mm. they're all about under 15 pounds. Uh, we approach picking out dogs like we approach um, buying rollerboard suitcases. We just say, can it fit under the chair? Therefore, <laughs> We'll pick that dog. So um, they're a delight, and as as most people who understand having pets, they're unconditional love. And even if you are having a challenging day and it's kind of worn you to thin, you go home and and you have this unconditional love of uh, jumping up. Of course, all they want is their food, but uh, but just the love that's coming at you. So I enjoy walking them. I enjoy uh, training them to the extent you can get three of them trained at the same time. Um, and uh, so I spend a lot of time with with my animals and and. Perhaps because I'm such an animal lover, Roger, as you know, I'm also vegan Mm -hmm. and I'm passionate about um, cooking and uh, trying to find new vegan restaurants and find new vegan recipes and try new ways of eating. And also I'm very, um, I enjoy speaking with the vegan curious and and giving them tips and answering their questions because they they are definitely curious. So I have no problem being asked questions about that either. Well, thanks for sharing that. So for... Folks out there who would like to get to know more of your work um, and just to maybe reach out to you, what's the best way that they can connect with you? How can they get in touch with you? Well, one of the ways that you can find some of my research is there's a, a, a publicly available website. You can just Google PubMed, P-U-B-M-E-D. And so that's a, a typical uh, medical science research database. And then in the search line, put in Tudor Lock, and you won't find another one. It's going to be easy. So T-U-D-O-R hyphen L-O-C-K-E. And boom, you'll find all of my research around physical activity and specifically step counting. You'll find articles on how many steps are enough. You'll find articles on how fast is enough. Mm -hmm. And along my lines of being passionate about being deliberate about purposeful and practical and useful, I also strive very hard to write in ways that 
uh, a non-scientific audience will be able to understand. So I've received a, a great number of compliments from, from people on the street who stumble into my research and go, oh my goodness, I was able to read and understand, you know, a high percentage of this, and I appreciate that. So, And I work with my students to try and, and write in such a way that they can be understood. Uh, so um, that's one way. If you want to go to the science, it's available there. And, and many of those articles are going to be public access. Mm-hmm. So you can download them through that. Uh, then um, I am at the, the college day in, day out. I'm committed to being engaged uh, on campus, walking about to my college, meeting the faculty, meeting the students, interacting with them. And I've been able to get out to the community now, and I'm wanting to get more and more out there as well. And so it's just a case of reaching out again, you know, with a name like Tudor hyphen Locke, you're not going to have trouble finding me with Googling, but uh, I do welcome opportunities to interact with people. Thank you so much. So as we head towards the end of our episode, um, any final words of wisdom that you can offer our audience? I'm excited to be part of the college and our unique constellation of nursing and social work and public health sciences and kinesiology. And and what I'm finding where I'm at is just a, an exciting vibe. You know, the faculty, the students, the staff, they're excited about the potential, uh, but they're also willing to understand there's going to be obstacles, there's going to be challenges, there's going to be things that we have to lean in and figure out how to problem solve, but nobody's doing it alone. And I, I find that there's a willingness to to reach across the table, to collaborate, to connect, to have conversations, to uh, share ideas. And uh, that's inspiring. That's exciting. You know, I've landed in that situation where uh, anything is possible if we can just sit down and, and think about it and talk about it and dream about it and figure out how to do. So it's, it's uh, and, and that's that's more satisfying than just throwing money at a problem. When people are creative and come together and are able to navigate it, it's a, and come up with solutions. That's a much more sustainable and approach that everybody's bought into. You know, if you're just throwing money at a problem does it, you know, have to throw more money at it tomorrow and mm-hmm. tomorrow and tomorrow. But uh, I find that there's a, a spirit uh, to to come together, unify, and 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 uh, work towards what UNCC and our college will be in five years, in 10 years, in 20 years, long after uh, I'm gone. And that's exciting because there, there's so much potential, so much opportunity. And I, and I see it every day and hear it every day. And I'm just excited to be part of it. Well, thank you. We do have a strong community. We have a strong college and we have a strong university. And so my hope is that we can connect all three and make this region the best community for everyone who lives here. So Dean Katrine, thanks again for your time and commitment to health and community wellness. We appreciate your work and your research and your leadership. So thanks for being here. And thank you, Roger, for hosting this wonderful podcast. I'm, I'm just learning about it now, but what an excellent forum for us to interact within the college, the community, and greater North Carolina. So to access this episode, along with notes and information about Dean Katrine Tudor-Lock, navigate to thehelpinghandspodcast.com. And we'd like to give a special thanks to UNC Charlotte for supporting us by providing the studio and resources to record our podcast episodes. And a special shout out to Adam, our producer, our engineer. Thank you to our listeners for their curiosity and willingness to learn something new today. Until next time, remember, strong always, always strong.